All right, Cutlass Podcast followers, welcome back to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. I think today we're going to keep going on with our exploration of this concept of performance feedback. And frankly, it blends into some communication skills that we're going to get into. And uh, one topic I get feedback on, you know, when I pulse for what you guys want to hear about is this concept of having difficult conversations, how to have those, or how to handle difficult people or situations. Let's face it, giving praise, as I've mentioned, is rewarding and fun as long as you're comfortable doing that. But it's definitely more difficult for some to have those conversations that underlie the critical performance feedback that's so crucial to individual and team growth and performance. With me today to discuss this, you know, not just this method, but this topic, it's my pleasure to welcome retired Mashi Petios and Navy Jim Hurt. Jim served as the ninth Master Chief Petty Officer in the Navy. Prior to that position, he was a machinist mate in the Naval Nuclear Power Program, and then he got in the Command Master Chief Program. He was Command Master Chief for a variety of tours, including on the aircraft carrier Theodore Roosevelt. Great long career in the Navy. And once he was done, he uh, he founded and now manages uh, – he's the managing director for Pinnacle 5 Consulting, and he's also the CEO for Hurt Consulting. He's also on the board of directors for the Navy Memorial, so he's doing a lot of great stuff to stay connected and still shape uh, you know our readiness. So he recently co-authored a book called Five Star Leadership Handbook, A Rudder Shift for Your Organization. There's a section in there we're going to dive into. Hey, Jim, welcome to the Cutlass Podcast. Thanks for joining me. How are you today? Great, Paul. Thanks for having me on. This is a this is a real treat. Uh, one of the best gifts you get for having been the former Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy is uh, people are still kind of interested in things you have to say. So uh, I'm honored to be with. Yes, and uh, to the point, leadership experience and management experience is enduring, right? And they usually have some sound fundamental concepts that translate regardless of the generational context or the organizational context they're in, right? Some of the stuff we learned in the military translates into civilian sector, and some of that stuff the civilian sector does, you know, occasionally we can bring some of that into our unique uh, culture. So I had the opportunity, thanks again for your uh, signed copy of the book. I love it. I was reading through it. And uh, when we were teeing up a topic, you know, I scanned through and one that kind of this whole last few episodes has been about performance feedback, about having hard conversations, about, you know, radical candor and some other topics. So I thought this tied in nicely. You've got a chapter in there, you know, basically about how to handle, you know, difficult people. Uh, and that's kind of in the eye of the beholder. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to talk to you first about why did you devote a chapter in the book to this specific topic? First of all, let me talk just a little bit about the, the genesis of the book. Okay. Uh, the, uh, I actually co-authored the book uh, with my former skipper off of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, the aircraft carrier. Uh, he and I served together. Um, it was one of the most remarkable commands I, I had ever served at in the fact that uh, while he and I were on there, we won the Battenberg Cup two out of three years that we were on there together. Wow. Uh, the Battenberg Cup, of course, is uh, the, uh, the cup awarded to the what is judged to be the most outstanding uh, ship in the whole Atlantic fleet, uh, which is half of the Navy fleet each year. And so we won that two out of three years. Uh, it was a remarkable command, principally because of his leadership. Okay. Uh, he was a, he's a remarkable guy. About a couple of years ago, he approached me about writing a, a leadership book together. And so we finally got that done uh, this past year. And it is a book. It's a little unlike other leadership books in that it's not heavy on theory. It's more pragmatic. It's uh, really directed toward scenarios and situations, really situational leadership. Uh, Admiral Stan Bryant, uh, my co-author, uh, he retired as a two-star. I retired as the Master Chief of the Navy, hence the five-star moniker. Okay. 
uh, our approach was really putting forth those things that really worked for us as a team on Theodore Roosevelt. And then we have both been in the civilian sector now for going on 20 years. And uh, what worked well for us uh, in the Navy seems to translate well in terms of civilian leadership. So we have compiled, uh, you know, a great deal of experience in both arenas and wanted to share that. Okay. So this idea of working with difficult people was really a chapter that was primarily penned by by Stan. You know, it's one that we uh, obviously have conferred a, a great deal on. Everybody has to work with difficult people sooner or later. Our goal was really to kind of set out not only how to do that, but what brings that about? Right. What is it, what is it about working with each other? that sometimes gets in the way of having a harmonious relationship and really contributes to inefficiency. So that's basically how we got to it. Okay. You know, when I read through it, right, it's not just about people that are, you know, and I'll say perceived as difficult or who actually may be or in CPO guide language or theory would be considered a resistant influence target. I think it's about conflict resolution. I think it's about performance feedback. And I think it's about interpersonal skill development. So if you're interested in any of those things, uh, which the people listening to this should be, I think it's a great chapter to read and a great conversation for us to have. So is it really about difficult people or is it about difficult conversations? Because difficult goes both ways. So as a leader, as you know, as a chief petty officer, there's sailors that think we're the difficult one, right? You know, I've done a chapter on or a podcast on implicit leader theory, and we talked about followership and how the follower or the leader has a mind frame of what a good follower is and what a good leader is. So there's some of that that I think blends into this as well. So how do you define difficult people, first of all? Not surprisingly, this seems to be one of the most popular chapters in the book. Yeah. Uh, Difficult people, uh, you know, I define leadership uh, as orchestrating relationships to achieve the desired outcome that you have. Okay. So building the relationship is first and foremost, the most important part before you get into a difficult situation. So hopefully you're exercising leadership principles that cause people to want to be able to do things that they may not necessarily want to do, but they want to do it because that's what you are asking them to do. From my point of view, I think there's a couple of things that really come to mind here when I think about difficult people. Okay. There's different classes of difficult people. There are those that appear to be difficult because there is a communication breakdown of some sort between the two parties. Either the leader is not communicating sufficiently to make themselves understood and clearly understood what the desired outcome is and how to get there. And so the follower goes off and does what they think they need to do or what they're willing to do. So that's one type. I think that's the biggest majority is either the the leader has not given them the tools necessary to accomplish the job, has not communicated the job well enough, or perhaps has given them too much to do. We tend to overload really good followers. Absolutely. Uh, Those that don't give us any problems and so forth. We just continue to ask more and more of them because it's easier to do than getting those that are more resistant to do things that we want them to do. But, you know, there is a small number, and this is the part I think that that really flummoxes leaders the most. There is a small group of people that, for whatever reason, and I've never quite been able to put my finger on it, have a personality that just runs contrary. There's something about them, deep in them, that runs contrary to 
our likes, perhaps, yeah. you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I remember uh, when I was a, an instructor at the nuclear power prototype uh, as a when I was a, a second class petty officer. You know, I w- didn't have a lot of experience in the Navy, so I didn't know a lot about leadership. But I had this one trainee, and I don't know what it was about that guy. Every time he asked me a question or every time I had to be around him, I just wanted to be somewhere else. I just yeah. didn't like the guy, and I could never figure out why. Uh, so I think there is a chemistry element to this also. But uh, I think the kinds of things that lead to having difficult conversations, as you put it, or appearing to be difficult to uh, to a leader. Yeah, and you and I, you know, both, you know, having been in the Command Mastery program at a variety of levels, you know, you would run into these situations, not just necessarily individually, but organizationally, right? So maybe I felt sure. frustrated about the wardroom as a whole or about that cheese mess as a whole, right? And I saw that situation as difficult. I remember one time going up and talking to my commanding officer about something, you know, I was frustrated about, you know, something in the cheese mess. And he looked at me, he's like, hey, Paul, you know, they're not all you. And that was a big aha moment for me because that kind of swapped it on me. It's like, hey, part of this is me, right? And my expectations of what behavior should be, right? You know, it gets down to, we'll talk a bit about this, is knowing your people and understanding what's behind them. And when we talk about knowing people, it's not just sitting down like, how many kids do you have? What's your dog's name? You know, what are your likes? It's really getting to understand where they come from, what shape their value and belief system, uh, and really what motivates them and drives them, or what challenges are in their personal life that may be making them, quote unquote, difficult per se or different, right? And I think another thing we challenge or we have to deal with in the military is this mindset of perhaps absolute compliance, right? As you and I both know, right? Naval nuclear power is big on rules and regulations and procedural compliance for a reason, you know? But we talk words like order, discipline, rules, regulations, positional hierarchy is important, right? So these are things that I think at the end of the day, create a mindset of what your followers should look like in a certain way and can lead you to develop this concept of difficult. So we talked a bit about kind of what can cause things to go wrong. So let's talk about you're a leader now. You identify either an individual or a team that you're considering to be need improvement or it's difficult per se. What options do you have? I see three. I see it's either opt to avoid the situation, as you mentioned before, right? Because it's not fun to have these conversations. You can engage face-to-face in a very organized, professional way, or in the worst case, you have to bring a third party in. So what's been your experience here? Well, I've experienced all of those. You're absolutely right. Uh, avoidance is is the easiest and, and the most comfortable, but it doesn't solve anything. Right. Nothing goes away as a result of just avoiding it. You know, human beings, it's in our DNA to avoid conflict. We, it really is. Rarely do you find somebody that just relishes having conflict. Uh, most of us prefer not to do that. We, we tend to walk away or find some way to uh, avoid confronting it. But there is no alternative to confront confrontation. Uh, now, when I say confrontation, it doesn't have to contain animus at all. It, it needs to be constructive confrontation. And uh, over the years, I've found that the quicker that I stepped up to the plate and just brought the person into my office or went up to the person said and just merely said to them, it appears that we are we have a real disconnect here and I'm committed to getting it right and trying to fix this so that, uh, you know, life's a little more enjoyable. The faster I do that, the more I 
unload myself and uh, stop that gut-turning churn that goes on internally, uh, yeah. both in my head and in my stomach, yep. wondering what that other person, why are they doing what they're doing? So the, the confrontation uh, it, point or confronting the issue. Well, let me go to the third one. Okay. Uh, bringing in a third party. I've had to do that sometimes. I usually had to do it. And, and I, I just say I had to do this as a command master chief or as the master chief petty officer of the Navy, or just let them know that I was willing to do it uh, in the cha- in the case of the, being the MCPON. I never had to do it. Right. I just had, I let them know I the opportunity to do it. When I was command master chief on the aircraft carrier, for instance, you know, you have some pretty senior department heads, 06 and 05 level, post-command tour got type of uh, folks. If I reached an impasse with what I wanted to do, with what the department head was willing to do, I just had to say something to the effect of, you know, I don't think we're going to reach an agreement here. Why don't we just lay this on the XO's desk? Each of us will make our case to the XO and let him decide what's the best course. Uh, I did that a couple of times. I mentioned it a couple of times as Mick, I only had to mention it because I knew who laying it on the CNO's desk, uh, that was probably not a good thing to do. But the thing about confronting the issue uh, is it's amazing when you actually bring someone in that you are having an issue with and, and lay it on the table in front of them, how quickly it can get resolved. And many times that individual backing down saying, yeah, you know, I, I've not been right. You know, in the book, we talk a lot about this idea of overhearing, having someone tell you that someone said something about you that was unflattering. The first step is to tell the person that's relaying the information to you, now they really didn't say that, you know, to kind of put a stop to the uh, spreading of the, the word. But then uh, bringing the person in and saying, uh, you know, I'm hearing that you're saying such and such. And typically what happens is one of three things. One, oh, I didn't say that, or that's not the way I meant it. Yeah. Or, yeah, I did say it. And then it gives you the opportunity to address it. You know, when you avoid, it's easy, but there is an emotional turn that goes with it. And then, frankly, you're not the only one seeing this in the case of difficult. So, again, I want to go back and just touch on that again. So, what I see, you know, if I'm going to define difficult, it's usually related to as a leader or manager. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting what I want from the other side, Mm -hmm. right? It's either an organizational outcome I'm trying to get that I have to, you know, rely on other people or other influence other people to get, and I'm either getting pushback or resistance to my idea, or it's a personal behavior kind of thing that the person's not meeting standards or they're damaging organizational or their personal reputation, right? Or they're putting themselves or other people in harm because of their behavior. So other people are typically seeing this and assessing it. People have expectations of you as a leader to be able to engage in those conversations. And when you don't, your personal power base, frankly, takes a hit because they think you're not willing to do what's right and what's in the best interest of the team and, frankly, for that person in many cases. So if you're a person who's prone to this uh, having difficult conversations or getting and dealing with the handling, managing, dealing with difficult people, it's got to be something you got to focus on and really explore why you're moving away from that because you are causing eventually organizational damage and damage to your personal reputation. Gauging face-to-face, obviously you've done that and you teed up some great examples of that. And then mediation, I've had to do that too. I want to dive a little more into the face-to-face because that's the ideal way that you handle it. Did you have like a personal framework that you learned? What did that look like for you? And what would be your recommended advice to that leader that has to conduct one of these, what I would call performance feedback sessions? 
Certainly. I think first and foremost, developing the right mindset when you're going into it. If you go into it in either a, a, an agitated state or in a state of frustration, you're likely to, to cause the other person to respond in kind. Uh, there's a TV series out uh, called The Dog Whisperer, and he talks about calm, assertive leadership or pack leadership as, as it applies to dogs. And, and I think it applies to the way you deal with people, too. People tend to take on your demeanor. So never do it when you're upset. Unless the, the situation absolutely calls for you to do it immediately. Uh, I think it's best for you to calm yourself down and get in a calm, a calm mindset, if you will. And then I think another thing that would be helpful for you to do is go into it thinking that the person wants to do the right thing. Okay. That they're not doing this out of vindictiveness. Now, some people do. Uh, I just have to tell you, I had a very stressful time as command master chief on the aircraft carrier because I had a uh, an air wing command master chief. It seemed to me that his biggest job of the day was to go find the stick he was going to poke me in the eye with. Right. Yes. Uh, there are people like that that just get off on making your life miserable. Yep. But you have to, I, I tell chief petty officers all the time, I don't believe anybody gets up, gets ready to go to work thinking, how am I going to screw up my leader's day today? I think everybody really goes to work thinking, I want to be successful. I want to do what I'm uh, asked to do. I want to be a hero today. And so when you go, when you start programming your mind to believe that everybody wants to do the right thing and you go into this situation, this uh, this uh, resolution situation with the idea that people want to do the right thing, you're not frustrated or angry uh, and just unemotionally lay it on the table saying you want the best outcome for everybody involved. I think it sets the stage for successful resolution. Okay. When you don't do those things, I think you really set yourself up for acrimony and, and failure. That non-accusatory tone is important, right? It's it's about exactly. behavior. So having the right attitude's good. The right location matters, right? So not everything has to be formally come to the office. I've done this where I've just taken people out for a quote, you know, a walk. Come yep. walk with me. Well, you know? there's one. There's actually one one other point to that, and that is, you have to be willing, and and I think it, this goes to the mindset also. You have to be willing to accept the fact that the problem might be you. Yes. The problem might be whatever it is you're asking them to do, how you're asking them to do it, uh, lack of communication for all kinds of things. You need to be willing to wear the armband and accept responsibility for that. You just don't go into it assuming that everything that's wrong is their fault. Yeah, and that's why this conversation is so important because – and that's another attitude to go into and a mindset is like hopefully before you've gone in there, you've got – and I've mentioned this on previous podcasts – uh, I think I've written about it in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide. You kind of self-reflect on, okay, what is my role, right? Did I define the standard? Mm -hmm. Have I communicated? Have I trained and educated? Frankly, am I in the right leadership style of the situational leadership model? So it may be, hey, you're in a very directing approach when you've got a target that's mature and willing and wants to be delegated to, right? So through this kind of discussion, it's just back to the core of this. It's communication, right? It's that cold hand Luke, right? What we have here is a failure to communicate typically, not a person that's, you know, just a pain in the ass or, you know, doesn't want to be in the Navy or some of that. That's well, occasional, that's well, there, but it's the, that's the minority, I think. Paul, there's one other thing that I, a point that I just bring out, uh, you know, when I, Captain, then Captain Bryant, uh, retired uh, Admiral Bryant, uh, and I were uh, on Theodore Roosevelt together, 
we always did uh, the CPO check-in interviews with the C, uh, you know, when a new chief would come on board uh, with the captain in the evening while we were at sea, if at all possible. Yeah. Uh, I would, I, and over those three years, I accompanied every chief petty officer, new chief petty officer, up to the captain's cabin in the evening, import cabin, which, as you you know, is pretty sumptuous. Yes. Uh, and we would sit on the couch, the three of us. And I still remember Captain Bryant saying uh, this idea, and this goes towards the idea of overloading people. He said, in the end, I want you to have fun at this command. He says, now, I don't mean giggle fun, but I want you to really enjoy your tour aboard this ship. And if we put you in a position where you're not having fun, I want you to kind of look forward to coming to, uh, to work in the morning and, and kind of hate to go home at night because you're having such a good time in, in your job. But if you find yourself in a position where you're not enjoying the, what, your tour on board this ship, you have an open invitation to come up to me and, and let me know, you know, what's going on. Yeah. Because I, we either have you overloaded or we have you in the wrong job. He told every chief petty officer that. And, you know, the thing about it, his sincerity in telling people that just made you believe. He believed it. I believed it. And that chief believed it. Absolutely. And as a, as a result, we had just one of the most phenomenal chief messes in the, in the, that I experienced at the Navy. Yeah, definitely. And and if you actually back that up with, you know, the say-do gap isn't there, it's a powerful thing. Um, oh, absolutely. So, you know, back in my days, you know, this is a while ago when I went to the Senior Enlist Academy, one of the things I took away from there, there was a lot of content, was this kind of concept of how you sit down and have one of these face-to-face sessions, right, in a very methodical way. And man, if you use that model, it's powerful. So it's First of all, have the right conditions, have the right location, something that's non-threatening. Maybe you're in their space, whatever. But then it, the first thing is, you know, you sit them down and you're like, you you tie it to the behavior, the impact of the behavior or the outcome that it's causing, and then how that makes you feel, right? So, hey, because you're doing this, it's causing this, and because of that, I'm either frustrated or I'm disappointed or whatever it is. And then you just throw it over and, hey, what's going on, right? And you open up that opportunity for them to provide their point. And once you hear that initial set of feedback, now you can adjust to like, okay, we've kind of hopefully identified root causes here. And then you take that on. The next step is really identifying responsibility. So to your point earlier, in some cases, it might be the person's responsibility and you get them to take ownership for what they're doing to cause them to fall short. In some cases, it's yours, right? And then you'll have to adjust from that meeting. But then you develop the plan to, you know, okay, what are we going to do to fix this in the future? You put that kind of plan in mm-hmm. place and then you follow up. So that's kind of a great model that I've seen that works well, but you got to be committed to the follow-up. And then when that's when the people do adjust – that's when you have to follow with praise, right? And you got to encourage that behavior. Anything to offer there? I would tell you, I think it's a great model to use. And and I, I think subconsciously, most people, even if they weren't aware of the model, that's principally what they would do. Yeah. But you, you point out this idea of follow-up and the lack of follow-up causes a lot of it to not work. Yeah. Uh, when you don't recognize the fact that they're making an effort to change or if you signal to them that you're willing to make a change, uh, a needed change, and you don't, uh, that causes failure. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I think that's principally, you know, how people would should approach a conflict resolution for sure. Okay. Um, so say we decide not to avoid, we engage face-to-face, perhaps that didn't work, and we decide, hey, a mediation approach, 
what if nothing of that works to change the behavior or the attitude? What do we do then? Because you wrote a whole section in the book about that. Yeah, you know, there's a saying, when you're hanging on to the rope, hang on to the rope to the bitter end. Yeah. Well, when you get to the bitter end, you most of us tie a knot in the rope and, and continue to hang on for as long as we can. But some people just make that absolutely impossible. I had a young sailor when I was chief of the boat on Skipjack. Uh, it really challenged my notion of this idea that uh, sailors don't get up in the morning and start scheming of a way to ruin my day. I had this young sailor on there that uh, he did his best to screw up every day. And uh, unfortunately, and uh, I was asked not too long ago, what was one of my most challenging days in the Navy? One of the most challenging days I had was the, making a decision that I had to cut that sailor loose, that he wasn't going to be successful, that the Navy was not for him. There comes a time when you've done everything you can do and they've done everything that they are willing to do to fix the problem that you either have to move them you know, in the civilian world, you, maybe you have to fire them, but you have to do the documentation. You have to document, make sure that you're doing everything you can do to make the, the situ, situation successful and that you get that in documented form. Particularly important on the civilian side because there's all kinds of recourse. Uh, there's recourse in the Navy too, and just as important to document it. Uh, but at some point, you have to make the decision to either fish or cut bait. And we got to admit it, right? So someone, either their attitude and their belief system about, it's not necessarily the military, being at their job position, maybe their personal life's in a place where they just can't commit to the standards or the expectations of the job and that's okay. Perhaps they don't have the skill sets, right, that you need. And perhaps, you know, part of this is hopefully, at least in the Navy, you have the opportunity to perhaps shift them to a different rating or a different skill set especially if the attitude is good. But if you've got lack of care, lack of maturity and skill set, to your point, at that point, it's time to cut them loose. In the civilian sector, as I've learned, that's a lot easier. In many cases, yeah, you can back it up with uh, documentation. But in the military, that takes some process. But if you've got a document and you've got that pattern of uh, misperformance and behavior, it usually enables that. It's not good to do that. It's a hard but right choice. But at the end of the day, if you've invested in all the upfront discussions we've had and using other people to try to solve this problem, and frankly, that's why you know this, right? When you go to captain's mast, at least on the Navy side with a young sailor or a senior sailor, frankly, the CO will typically want to know what's been done to try to correct the behavior at the lower level with the tools of influence they've got. So if you're just going to pass this up to your boss and think they're going to handle it, they're going to push it back on you and you might find yourself held accountable for not doing your full measure as a leader. So, hey, Jim, any last thoughts for the listeners on uh, this concept? Certainly. Uh, and all of that is absolutely true. I think, uh, you know, I've been talking to a lot of CPO selectees uh, here recently. And one of the things I tell them, one of the most uh, important things for leaders to have is energy. Uh, and, and it's energy that comes from a confidence in your abilities as a leader, that you know your trade well enough, uh, both your technical trade and your leadership trade well enough that it instills confidence in you, that others feel when they're in your in your presence. And many times it's things like this, this ability to reach out and resolve uh, things that impact the organization in a way that makes it less efficient. We talked about this one chapter in the book, and it's just kind of what we've talked about today is just a kind of a sampling of what we've tried to do in this book, that it's the kind of book that really 
talks about applying leadership principles and theories rather than just telling you what they are yeah. and figuring out, uh, you know, giving you some advice on things to not just, uh, you know, trying to impart this, this leadership theory knowledge to you. And uh, we're excited uh, about it. And and want to thank you the, for the, giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about the book and really have this, this really energizing conversation on how to make things better in the workplace. All right. And I'll put your book in the episode description so the listeners know, but uh, that's a great way to wrap it up. And to the point of the Cutlass podcast, that's exactly what I want to do. I blend the theory. We take the theory, the mantras, and we try to put them into practical applications. So I appreciate your perspective on that. So my guest today has been uh, retired Mass Chief Jim Hurt. He was the ninth Mass Chief Petty Officer of the Navy. He's a CEO. He's an author. Jim, thanks again for taking time to join me on the Cutlass Podcast. I really appreciate your perspective and your time. My honor, uh, Paul. Thanks for all you're doing. And if I can help you out in any way in the future, don't hesitate to call. Absolutely. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the Cutlass Podcast on your podcast channel, and then like and share and help me spread this content to those who can use it to improve. I'm Paul Kingsbury. Work hard to keep that leadership cutlass sharp. Reflect, improve, and then take what you learn to become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who dares to make a positive difference.